Uh, this is Paul Kaminsky. And this is James Kaminsky. And we like comic books. Yeah, we do. We do like comic books. We would also like to tell you fine podcast listeners out there about a comic book podcast we think you'd really enjoy. It's called My Comic Shop History, and it's a podcast hosted by Anthony Desiato. And uh, James, it explores uh, the business, culture, and fandom of the comics retail industry. We've talked about ah. comics on the show before, haven't we? We have, and for good reason, because we love comic books, Paul, and we've both had a lot of experience in comic shops. So this is just the right podcast for us. Yeah. Uh, Guests include comics retailers, collectors, and creators. And you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. And hey, everybody, check it out. Check out My Comic Shop History now on your local podcast. Yeah, that one. (laughs) Now on with the show. The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! probably be uh, having a new album by that time if we're lucky we have a lot of songs cooking right now and uh, uh, we've been playing a a few of them live and I'm sure by March there'll be the entire 20 or 25 songs will be on stage by then. Yeah new record uh, going in the studio in a couple weeks so hopefully it'll be done by the end of the year early next year. We can't tell you that much about it except it's gonna be uh, really expansive and I'll use that word loosely in a scientific sense um, meaning that I'm just using it as a word to distract you. Because I don't really <laughs> want to tell you what it sounds like. No, I'll be in the form of a pill. <laughs> we were thinking about putting out another single a couple of years after the next album came out from the first album. Not really good at phrasing questions in the form of an answer. I'll just fill that part in for mm-hmm. you. He's right when he's saying take a pill to hear the music of the future because <laughs> if they're going to have microchips in your brain, then they might as well swallow a pill to get a new album. But if you have uh, something like a LoJack system in your house or uh, one of those tethers that they have for kids so they don't run away those could be used as albums in the future too as long as people don't go out and buy records at a store that's the last thing you want them to do because uh, uh, then they start experiencing things hey hey kid yeah you looking pretty good at that game there kid yeah, what, what, what do you want, mister? Well, I'm seeing what you're doing over here, and you seem like you're incredibly good at this game. Well, what's it to you, mister? Well, you why, you mind taking your hand out of your pockets when you talk to me like that, mister? I'm sorry, those aren't my pockets. That's that's a skin condition. I just... <laughs> wait, 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 time out. What? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, 
Alright, yeah. Alright, mister. I'll hear you out, mister. Okay, I'm willing okay. to play ball. I play stickball with the fellas all the time. Well, we're not playing... I mean, this is a form of stickball. You know, I'm a little rusty at this game. Yeah, rust. I see that, mister. I have to scrape the rust out of old man Pinkerton's boat every Friday. Yeah. Yeah, I know old man Pinkerton. He's a good guy. Uh, but uh, let's see. Take a look at my, my trick shot over here on this on this snooker table. Alright? Snooker? I love playing snooker. That's <laughs> what you do with old man Pinkerton. On Wednesday nights. <laughs> Mister, I gotta say, that's a mighty fine trick shot you got going there. And by mighty fine, it's terrible. Well, I was gonna... I mean, it's. I think it's very good. You shouldn't be so hot on yourself. Really, you're a good person. Uh, thank you. I was wondering, maybe you'd like to wager a little bet. Ah, what are you talking about? All I got is three shillings and a, and a dime. I'll take that. I'll take that bet. And you know what? I bet that you can beat me in a game. Yeah, okay. okay. This is all just an act. I'm actually uh, quite a reasonable child. And um, I think you've presented me with a very reasonable wager, and I'm and I'm willing to participate in the um, event that you've described. Wow, that's real bold of you. I appreciate. I'm just kidding, oh. Mister. I'm <laughs> such a jokester. I uh, knew right. I could count on you. Huh? All right, all right. Three shillings and a button, or whatever the hell you said. All right, let's go. Let's play. I'm playing. Yeah, we're all playing. I'm playing the game. I'm playing the game. We're really playing it. This is the audio of me playing the game. And I guess... It's our best skit yet. I guess I won. Oh, bro. Oh. Look, I... This is a real... Uh, can I say... <laughs> you. No, it's no need to cuss. <laughs> well, you know, I figured since you were hustling me... <laughs> was that the intent? Because that yeah. was very good. Yeah, I was hustling. I think that was our best yet, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we went two and a half minutes too long, but yeah, it's it's pretty good. <laughs> welcome to the Third Men Podcast. Yeah, welcome to our weird show where we do dumb things. Here's my dog. Hey, that's a pretty fine dog there, mister. <laughs> I'll pay you three shillings and a dollar to take her. Oh, God, she's eating things. Yeah, welcome to the Third Men Podcast. This is our... Jack White History Podcast, where we go over Jack White and bands and third man records and assorted acts. and Yeah. And we also go over uh, albums, such as today, Paul. Oh, James, we're back for part two of our Sea of Cowards Spectacular, the sophomore release by the Dead Weather. And we're just so excited. If you haven't checked it out yet, check out episode 81 of the podcast where we t did part one and we covered oh background james and we covered the actual recording and the release we got to a lot actually it was a that was quite a long one but what we didn't get to is the track by track we actually started it with track one blue blood blues and we're going to get through the rest of the track by track today and then we are also going to get into oh some reception of the album some reflection Ooh, upon the album i like a and good reception i got my sunday best on go to that reception yeah well that's good because you're gonna need it and uh we're gonna rate <laughs> and we're gonna rate the album too isn't that isn't that fun uh, we're gonna rate yeah. it we're gonna give the album a rating we should probably start writing down what we're rating these things because i can't remember mm, any of them no 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 we never need to go back to it <laughs> So, lots to get to. We have part two. Also, this is the last show before Halloween, so everybody get your spook on. Yeah, good good album for the Halloween season. Very uh, costumey. Costumey. Very gothic-y. Gothic-y. It's good. It's good. And James, I think that's, uh, we got a lot to get to. But before we get to all of that. <gasps> is there something we should stop doing, Paul? Nope. Is there something we should start smelling, I think? 
Yeah, let's start smelling. <laughs> what is the most astounding fact? The most astounding fact. The most astounding fact is the knowledge. James, would you like to tell the people what I think a smell of fact is? I would, I would, I would. I think I smell a fact is the portion of the show in which we find something new and we like it. And we've got to put it in an episode, but we don't want to make a whole episode around it, so we put it in this little segment here. Yeah, and this week we have just, like, a few, and it's all sort of rapid fire by people who clearly knew way more about Johnny Walker than us. And uh, (laughs) if you didn't before this episode, stop what you're doing. Go listen to episode 80 of the podcast. That would be our extended interview with Ohio's own Johnny Walker, Soledad brother, soul brother, doctor man, mm. the doctor man, wonderful guitar player. Anyway, um, we interviewed him in a uh, strange interview. And James, we got a lot of great reception from our listeners about that episode. And I thought we'd share a few of the things that our listeners told us here. Now. Yeah, uh, that would be that would be great. We did get a lot of good feedback. Um, so, James, I guess we'll start here with our third woman in spirit every week, Callie Durga, who actually pointed out something. Uh, and if we're, if we're being honest with ourselves here, I didn't know going into this, which is that evidently he makes an appearance on the inaccessible mystery mm. B-side uh, for, from the Blunderbuss era. Uh, I did not know that Johnny played on a Latter-day Jack project. I probably should be reading my liner notes more closely, but my goodness, that is very cool that Johnny did make an appearance on inaccessible mystery, which I happen to enjoy. I, I like that B-side very much. I think it was the B-side of Freedom of 21. So uh, that was very cool. Well, thank you, Callie, for pointing that out to us. Indeed. Callie goes on to point out that, James, I believe you mispronounced Albert Camus in that interview. I said Camus ah. Trust was one of his first early bands in high school, and the correct pronunciation of this existentialist philosopher is Camus. Albert Camus. Well, there you go. That's very good. Callie also points out that we should have mentioned that the third member of Henry and June was Jimmy Danger. He didn't become a member of the Jack Third Man universe per se, but his Boogaloosa prayer mm. and his label Danger Limited Sound Recording Company are worth checking out. So that's another real tidbit for everyone. James, and the next one is pretty interesting, if you don't mind me saying so. Uh, I agree. Uh, I, the next one is that the Little Room Records in which the Cut in the Hill gang was put out on was a label created by members of the Little Room message board, which was a White Stripes and Jack White fan message board that was around since the early days of the Stripes. Yeah. Fan-made record label. Uh, pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. Did not know that. Uh, that is very, very cool. We also got a reply here along those lines. Angelina, who apparently was a, a part of this little room record label uh, situation, replied as well and said that she's got some, but she needs to dig them out. And now I would buy one of those for a dollar. What would you, James? You care to r- raise me a dollar? I yeah, yeah, I'd raise you at least two dollars. <laughs> so, uh, so that was very cool. And then the next one here is for, again from Cali. The Shack Up Inn is a very, very cool place. Unfortunately, they were in the process of building their live venue the last time Cali stayed there. 
so uh, she had not been fortunate enough to experience any of Johnny's shows, but Johnny did mention the Shack Up in in the interview. So yeah, that was pretty cool. It sounded like he was having a ball playing there, James. Yeah, it's it's located in Clarksdale. They they get a ringing endorsement from Johnny. They get a ringing endorsement from Callie. And if I'm ever in town, I think I'm going to stop there and go to. I think so too. Go to the Shack Up in. Yeah, that sounds like fun. And there is uh, one more here, James. Callie also points out that the Soledad Brothers songs recorded on Jack's front porch are on Master Supertone, which is uh, available through Cass Records, which is Ben Blackwell's uh, record label. Yeah, which you uh, should definitely stick around and listen to next episode for, which I can't explain to you why, but tease, 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 if you're interested in learning more about Cass Records, you should come back around in two weeks and give us another listen there. Yeah. Because we could have something pretty fun in the pipeline. Mm. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, can I yeah. just can I just read this Cast Records blurb on Master Supertone LP? Oh, I wish you would. Originally released in a micro edition of 20 cassettes. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> these earliest recordings of the Soledads brim with raw, unadulterated house-rocking blues and Midwestern malaise. Songs recorded on a front porch? Check. Gunshots heard off in the distance? Check. That's right, which Johnny said were in time with the music. Electric snow shovel? Check. Recorded by Jack White <laughs> in 1998 at 12.03 Ferdinand. He also plays piano on these recordings. Includes covers of Ike Turner's Rocket 88 and Hound Dog Taylor's Give Me Back My Wig. Pow to the people. And then it gives a, a track list. So uh, everybody go to castrecords.com to get yourself a copy of Master Supertone LP by the Soledad Brothers. You won't regret it. Or you will. You might, yeah. Who knows? I don't know you. Yeah, we don't We don't know you. <laughs> you could regret things in your life. When I reflect on that fact. Uh, so, James, what do you say we uh, move on into the track by track and keep this party going, huh? Yeah, let's do it. Track, 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 track. Track, 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 track. James, that brings us to track number two, which actually leads in from track number one, Blue Blood Blues, and that would be Hustle and Cuss. of you who are astute listeners might realize that our intro skit had to do with hustle and cuss paul what's this song about well i can tell you this its engineer was bill skib next song let's move it along (laughs) (laughs) yes let's go over some technical credits on this we have engineer bill skib john hampton and vance powell uh with recording assists by jessica ruffins lydia gilman and uh, Joshua V. Smith, and it was mixed by Vince Hampton and Jack with assist by Joshua V. Smith. And the reason why uh, last episode, you'll remember, I rattled off the various technical credits 
on Blue Blood Blues is because unlike a lot of Jack albums, this one is extremely detailed in a track-by-track way of who did what, and there were a lot of different fingers in the old pot there. As I said last episode, again, you should probably just listen to last episode for part one, but a lot of people close to Allison and a lot of people close to Jack were both involved in this recording, and so you have a lot of mixing of the kills and the stripes and the racks and all that stuff sort of swirling around. Not backward! Upward, not forward, and always twirling. Which is why there's a lot of different hands on a lot of different buttons here. A lot of names I didn't recognize, frankly. Uh, To be honest, the only one I got was Joshua V. Smith and Jack White. And Vance Powell. I don't know anything about Allison Mosshart. I don't know no (laughs) Dean Fertitta. This song was written by Allison and Jack Lawrence, of all people. So that's a, an unusual writing credit. Allison Mossard and Jack Lawrence wrote Hustle and Cuss. And you can kind of hear it. The bass is uh, pretty prevalent in this tune. And it's got some it's got some faint, like, honestly, like, mo- I don't say this to be offensive to the Dead Weather, but like most Dead Weather songs, it sounds a little like Cut Like a Buffalo. Mm. So there's some of that in the bass line, but the bass is fairly prevalent and what i love about this song james is it kicks off with that little quarter twirling on a you know falling on a desk and twirling you know mm-hmm. twirling 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 towards freedom this was jack lawrence's favorite track on the album to the surprise of no one telling riverfront times quote i've been liking that one <laughs> it changes a lot we have a song on there that could be a hit song, except no one's really talking about it for a single, which is strange. <laughs> the only people that really have mentioned it so far have been a couple of Japanese reporters, so I love that LJ is very quietly and very consistently with his character advocating for his song to be a single. I like this song too, but I find that like a lot of early Kills work, it has that air of repetition almost ad nauseum most of these songs do on this album they're they're all they they are pretty repetitive what i love about this track is the transition between it and blue blood blues there's that coin flip at the very end of blue blood blues and the uh, the instant the coin hits presumably the table and starts to spin we get the bass creep and that signals hustle and cuss and if you're listening to it on cd and the tracks are split you'll notice that the song comes in mid the mid twirl of coin Mm. I've seen some people comment that the song is about karma. I suppose you could see it that way. I think it's just sort of another risque dead weather song playing with devilish sexuality, you know, because that seems to be what most dead weather songs seem to kind of do. It's hard to say when you look at the lyrics. I guess it's karma, but there's also like it in there. Like, all right, knock on the door. The door knocks back. Mm -hmm. The joke never go no further than that. Okay. Karma, I can see that. Fire goes back inside the match, back down the stack. And we hustle and cuss, lick on the dust. Must you muscle and fuss? When we were young, a different kind of fun. Playing in the mud, it meant something else. Now we hustle and cuss. You're easy to fool and easy to catch. And I don't know if I want you to match my bets. Um... So I guess fighting or arguing is in there or like adult versus like kids stuff. I don't know, man. I just I just always assume these songs are about f***ing, but I could be very wrong. Via the free dictionary, there is a, a definition for the phrase to lick the dust. Oh. Which is to be servile or grovel. Oh, I see. All right. Uh, it also means to be slain or fall in battle. So 
this phrase that I thought was meaningless, uh, I now Googled to have meaning. Uh, so that's very interesting, James. Thank you for doing that. I had no idea what that meant and didn't look it up. Uh, via NME, matters transmute into swaggering hustle and cuss, in which guitar and ham and organ compete to bring each other to orgasm several times. Oof. <laughs> Jeez, Louise, NME. I mean, they do. It does have a sexual quality. Yeah. You no, know? Yeah. They're bringing their metaphor to a new new heights. Yeah. Honestly, if this album... Okay, so here's opinion time. If this album was a single, and it was Blue Blood Blues and Hustle and Cuss, I think I'd be happy. I think they're my two favorites on the album, and they are stacked up toward the top there, which is kind of where they belong, because they're quite good. The difference, I think one of the main differences, and we'll get to this, between this album and Whorehound, is the fact that this one is kind of front-loaded and feels somehow like a real album in a way. I know that I know that kind of is talking down to Whorehound. I don't mean to do that, but Whorehound seems to fall apart and get very quiet and sort of crumble to dust in places, whereas this one, I find the songs to be quite repetitive and somewhat forgettable, although they feel more like an album. However, I think one of the main differences, too, is... This one has the best two tracks stacked right up at the beginning, and they kick in the door, you know? Yeah, I mean, I I, I would agree Blue Blood Blues is one of the, the best on the album. Like you said, it, it is kind of front-loaded. I do like some of the songs in the back end, but this album really does feel just like a extension of Whorehound to the point where, like you said, the songs are almost forgettable, and, and not, not that they're forgettable, but I get them confused. Like, I can't... Yeah. So I'll hear a song <laughs> yes. and I'll be like, "Oh, that's on Whorehound," and it wasn't. It was on Sea of Cowards, or the opposite will happen. Right. I'll say that's on Sea of Cowards, and it's not. It's on Whorehound. Like it, it is just an extension of Whorehound, but it's more polished than that. And that's I think where you, like what you were saying, it feels more like an al- a true album because it yeah. it seems more purposeful. Uh, yes, I agree, and I, I I would take it one step further. I forget sometimes which songs are which on the respective albums. You, we were talking about No Horse. And I had No Horse and Rocking Horse confused mm. for, like, four years. I did the damn research on the album, and I still was like, No Horse isn't on this. <laughs> what are you talking about, you crazy man? Rolling Stone named this song the number 13 best song of 2010, huh. which is pretty high honors for a album cut <laughs> not written by Jack. Uh, do you want to guess, James, what Rolling Stone's number one song of 2010 was? Man, 2010. What was going on in 2010? Ah, oh, it was a simpler time. Was this rock music specifically? No, any music. Any music. Woof. The young Barack Obama was still the president. What was Drake doing at this point? The midterms were happening. Uh, I don't... Uh, 2010. That's a good question. I, I don't know. I can't, I can't even think. I'm going to say something by Drake. You're a little early for Drake. It was Kanye West's Runaway. Oh, I was going to go with Kanye, too, as a backup. I was thinking, as you were saying that, I was like, yeah, what happened in music in 2010 for, like, normal people? And, like, Adele and Kanye West is probably it, right? Yeah, it sounds right. So, anyway, it also, uh, the song also appears in the 2016 film Vincent and Roxy. And get this, the Jennifer Lawrence vehicle Silver Linings Playbook. Did not know that. Hustle and Cuss is in Silver Linings Playbook. And here's how I know that I didn't know that. I've never seen the film. <laughs> is it a rom-com or a football movie? It's one of the two. I think it's, no, I think it's like a, like a dance 
film. It's got a playbook, it's football, or it's a notebook that's romance. It's one of the two. No, I think it's about dance. I think it's I think it's dance. I had it in my Netflix queue for a long time. Like, I'm going to watch that. Why? I don't know. Didn't, though. <laughs> that brings us to track three, James. The Difference Between Us. Ah, The Difference Between Us. I watched a fun fan-made music video of that today. Did you? Yeah, it was good. It's fine. It involved tea lights. Oh, there you go. difference between us we'll rattle off some technical credits here because i got them bill skibbs back our old buddy and uh vance powell engineered the session and it was recorded with assists by joshua v smith and mixed by vance and jack white with assists by josh and jessica ruffins this one was written by allison and jack Mm. and uh very rarely do you get a credit just the two of them and we have one here so that's pretty cool one of the most surprising things i found in my research about this album was that this track in particular holds a weird connection to an artist you would never in a million years connect with Jack White. James, do you have guess one as to who I'm talking about? What prominent we know you're very good at naming prominent 2010 singing stars. Do you want to venture a guess as to what connection to what prominent singing star from 2010 this song has a connection to? Uh, yeah, it's Lenny and Squiggy. Yeah, Lenny and Squiggy, <laughs> popular 2010 Laverne and Shirley spinoff characters. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is via Pop Matters. Mosshart also mentions there that there is a quite surprising inspiration for some of the work on the record. According to her, a certain fashion-loving, chart-topping female artist became an unlikely muse for Jack White while writing one of the album's most floor-thumping tracks, The Difference Between Us. Quote, on the difference between us, Jack had this idea to write the song that he wished she would do, she remembers. Seeing Lady Gaga explode on the scene uh, makes you think, what is that about? What would you want a girl like that to sound like if every little part of it was completely delicately put together? In his mind, he thought it would be really cool for her to sing a song like that. Instead, he just decided to write a song like that for the dead weather. Jack White went on to tell The Sun on May 7th, 2010, that the song was inspired by Lady Gaga. He explained, I was thinking of the type of song a contemporary musician would write, so I started thinking about her. I started thinking of how she would write the music to this song and got quite into being Lady Gaga in an odd way. He added, The lyrics are all from Allison who is coming from a different direction. What I love about Allison's lyrics are her metaphors. They're really truthful and come from a real place. I like how she twists them to go along with the story she is telling. Her lyrics are very visual. So James, Lady Gaga was the answer. Weird. And makes sense. It's funny, like, thinking about Lady Gaga singing this makes me think this song has a different meaning than what Allison and Jack singing makes me think. Like... With the dead weather singing it, uh, it sounded a little bit like some kind of assault. Just let me do what I need to. It, it might be to me or to you, 
let me just do what I need to. I'm not the way that you found me. I'm neither here nor there. One day I'm happy and healthy. Next, I ain't doing so well. Kind of terrifying sounding. It yeah. could be like murder of some kind. Yeah, yeah, it could sound like a great number of things, but... Coming from Lady Gaga, yeah. it could sound like some kind of anthem for being you and let's find the difference between us and like you can't see the difference between us because we're the same person like it's it sounds like it could be a much more positive thing coming from lady gaga as opposed to (laughs) miss maul's heart yeah no i i hear that and what's funny about it too is that the lyrics have a jackie quality and it's interesting to hear that jack had nothing to do with the lyric but you have to believe that allison was inspired by the music jack was making and that's where the song came from but it's just it's funny to me that that was the eventual concoction between the two of them in that way it's a strange mixture but when you isolate the song from the lyric yeah i could see lady gaga doing that you know i could see it it's it still sounds like the fucking dead weather but like i could i could see it yeah this would be a a deep cut one one only her fans would appreciate (laughs) real real hustle and cuss sorry lj (laughs) nme said that this track is the closest the album gets to a tender wistful ode to dysfunction. Allison is known for these types of tracks. In fact, this one also reminds me a lot of the Olivia Jean track, After the Storm, which I think speaks to its female-led vision of a broken relationship. That one's from me. But there's some lyrics in that which I feel really ring true for a relationship, and not just a relationship, but a relationship perhaps from a more feminine rather than masculine point of view. And um, I think I could... uh, I could see this one in that same light. I think it's like, kept you Sunday dreaming about violence because you're not used to the silence of camaraderie, uh, which I always interpret about uh, two people sitting in a room quietly while it's driving one of them absolutely insane uh, that they're doing it. But uh, from the female point of view, I suppose, in that song, it shows that you don't need to talk. You're you're, uh, comrades in arms. Anyway, Mm. that song always said that to me in particular, and I found some lyrics I found similar in uh, The Difference Between Us. Of this one, Pitchfork writes, The backfiring keyboard on The Difference Between Us sounds like nothing so much as the faint circa Black Wave Arcade. Electro-rocking harder than most actual rock. Uh, The Faint were a new wave band, and this article references an album the group released in 1999, which of course opens with the unforgettable track, quote, Sex is Personal. Consequence of Sound called this one Spooky Electro-Tinged Barn Burner. Love a good barn burner. Yeah. And you know what, James? Consequence of Sound often makes me mad. I think most people. I'm mad, is our next song. (laughs) I get it. is a fine track. I do like Allison's laughing on it. I like the, the little... Yeah. Ha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that too. Uh, well, let's... let's t- 
Let's uh, let's hit some technical credits on this course because we have uh, Hampton and Powell with recording. Uh, assists by Joshua V. Smith and Lydia. Mixed by Vance and Jack with assists by Joshua V. Smith. This was written by the whole band, James. The whole band wrote this one. It is definitely more like a jam like the old Whorehound sessions were. And I say that only because the lyrics, pretty shallow, pretty shallow lyrics. It looks like they're just rocking out. I'm happy you said that because that is what I was trying to articulate in my own feelings about this. This definitely sounds like something from Whorehound in that it is, in that it could fly apart at any moment but has a fun hook. Yes. Um, of writing as a band, Jack told LesinRock.com, the dynamics are extremely different when all the members of a group can participate in writing the songs. I produce these two albums, but I produce them as a drummer, whereas I usually produce records as a singer or guitarist. It's also a radically different point of view. Allison writes her, her lyrics live in the room where the others play. It's very different from what's happening in the kills. The writing process is very different. Writing live is also something very new for Dean and Jack Lawrence. It's a real land to explore for four songwriters. A uh, consequence of sound called this one a danceable nervous breakdown. And Rolling Stone said that this song zigzags between fire dance delirium and drunken Godzilla stomp with jolts of abused synthesizer and vocalist Alison Mosshart's She Devil Vengeance. Whoa. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Shows how far the world has come in eight short years, James. Yep, yep, yep. The lyrics in this, if they were set to different music, could be a. Uh, a Delta Blues 30s track because if you just yes. replace haha with I'm mad I'm mad and it just keeps going away along the road you show them all. you know it's it's yeah. got that kind of vibe to it there's a lot of blues talk in fact there's an interview I was just um, listening to whilst editing episode 81 which says uh, if the interviewer asks Jack to sum up the dead weather in one word and uh, Jack says the blues which I thought was funny because I don't really think of the blues when I think of dead weather I think of goth rock or yeah. sort of 80s 80s goth rock or something I think of eyeliner and Jack goes on to say something and I'm, I'm paraphrasing from memory here but something about how the blues is truth and how truth and the blues are synonyms for one another. And when people think of the blues and they think of some old guy sitting on a porch or the Blues Brothers, that's a commercial for the blues, not mm. the actual blues, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, the vocals on this track dance between Jack and Allison's ranges to the point where it's kind of hard to tell them apart via Pop Matters. On the record itself, there are points where it's difficult for the listener to separate the vocal tracks of Mossheart and White, such as on the brooding blues stomp, I'm Mad. I don't know what happens when Jack gets in the studio, says Mossart. People keep saying that we're singing like each other. It makes the gender more confusing and the story more interesting when you can't really tell. Maybe that just happens naturally from being around each other and singing all the time. So that's kind of interesting. They they're find their voices blending, which we've often said about Jack and Brendan Benson in yep. the Raconteurs. Yep, yep. Gonna make the same comparison, but you beat me to it. Well, make it, James. I'm mad. Okay. <laughs> At 1 minute 51 seconds, the track hits a crazy cool lick and slides into a blues dirge that's 
freaking awesome. It single-handedly makes this track one of the band's best, in my opinion. I'll be referring to these breaks a lot as we go through the tracks because they tend to be the best parts of the songs. But I don't know if you know the one I'm thinking about, but it goes like... Oh, yeah. It's cool. I love it. In fact, I love each individual song on this album a lot more than I like the album as a unit. And in that regard, I think I'm mad kind of summarizes the whole thing. Yeah, I'll give you that. For a dollar, that brings us to James. The next track, Die by the Drop. Ah, Die by the Drop. Some people die just a little. Some people die just a little. Sometimes you die by the drop. Some people die in the middle. Some people die in the middle. I live just fine on the top. I'm gonna take you for what's so better. I'm gonna make you for what's so better. I'm gonna take you for what's so better. So my little. Just watched the music video for this one in preparation for recording today. Ooh. Uh, you mentioned it in part one, and uh, I'll mention it again in part two. Die by the Drop has a music video in which the entire Dead Weather are seen in their masks that they're in on the, the cover of the album, and uh, apparently stepped right off the set of the photo shoot and did the set for the music video. My God, that music video was freaking awesome also i realized that i really like the song die by the drop james i agree with you 100 percent. and yes we did cover that last episode and i i really love it we'll go through some tech credits on this uh again hampton and powell with assist by joshua v smith and lydia it was mixed by vance and jack with assist by joshua v smith uh notably the same configuration as i'm mad you know as we talk, uh, talked about the last uh, episode there were only a couple sessions for this album to be put together, and I think there were chunks of songs done for each session. So where it was possible, I did note uh, which I th- think belonged to what session. So I think this was in the same session as I met, just based on the tech credits. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was written by Allison, Dean, and LJ. Jack is the only one not to have a writing credit on this. And it was the lead single for the album, which is kind of a weird choice. I think Blue Blood Blues is a much stronger lead single. Die by the Drop boggles my mind. I don't know why they went with this. I don't hate it, but it's odd. It reminds me of Would You Fight For My Love. There's like a arena rock pretension about it, which I don't particularly find palatable, although I don't mind the track, if that makes any sense. I don't get that from this, really. I, I get... I think there's more story to this than What You Fight For My Love has. What You Fight For My Love obviously has a little bit of story in the beginning, but it it, it kind of degrades into that anthem territory, whereas this one, there's more imagery to, to dig through. Uh, I agree. I think it's actually stronger than What You Fight For My Love, uh, since we're putting them side by side. I think it may be the piano, the bonk, 
bong, bong. I don't know. So anyway, the single was released, uh, I believe, on March 23rd, 2010, although I've heard May. I think it's March. Uh, the chart position, it hit the U.S. alternative charts at number 20 and the U.S. mainstream rock charts at number 32. Uh, I'm sorry, number 36. This seems to be their most most breakthrough single they ever put out with some mainstream radio play. But overall, aside from the album charting very well, this is not, you know, as we talked about in our Greatest Hits episode, Dead Weather is not really a hits band. Yeah. You know, they're they're more like an in thing for people to know about, but they're not they're not out there swinging for the fences and, you know, uh, competing on a scale with pop artists of the time like uh, Jack White Solo or White Stripes record might or even a Rack and Tours might. Yeah. John Sakamoto for the Toronto Star said the song sounds like it should weigh a ton with relentless guitar riffs, throbbing drums and incessant plinking piano along with very loud vocals by White and Alison Mossart who don't so much duet as shout at each other. <laughs> Jack Lawrence discussed its inception with Riverfront Times. I think this was just coming from being on tour and wanting to play more of those kinds of things for the crowd. It seemed like the audience wants a little more of that. However it happened. I think Dean Fertitta started writing that riff for the chorus, and we just all chimed in with other parts. That's just really how this one came about. Pitchfork said, This is some serious locked-in rock dude <laughs> Discordant guitar leads, fuzzed-out organ blurts, clattering, falling-down-stairs drum fills, it's unhinged classic rock explosiveness that sounds like it could be the result of a few vicious jam seshs. The rumblings of scuzz rock lifers given a chance to air out their purest expressions of fuck you up ire. And when a chorus does emerge from the swampy ether, as on the ferocious first single Die by the Drop, it cuts deep. Whoa. <laughs> that is, uh, that's a lot to unpack, Paul. And uh, I think we should leave it in the suitcase. Clearly, this is a standout for many. Uh, NME remarked, It begins as a lurching slab of psyche before working itself into a panic, threatening, I'm going to take you for worse or better. Maybe it's that drama that I'm sort of semi-facetiously inflecting here that I find similar to Would You Fight For My Love About It. The drama seems sort of fake and forced in places. Again, I don't... Look, I can have an opinion. I don't have to love everything the man does. Uh, I, I just find it I find it a little forced, is, is all I'm saying. I don't hate the song, though, and actually I don't... It's got I some, really don't... It's got yeah. some piratey imagery, and I like the piratey things going on in it. It sounds like somebody's Tumblr. It really... They're digging a hole in, in the sand, and they're going to dig a grave kind of death situation. I, I don't know. I like, I like when the band goes when any jack white band goes on some kind of weird dumb story uh <laughs> kind of trip i i really yeah. enjoy it well fair enough uh bbc called this one all dark sparks of skullduggery and spin said it, it's cruelly it's cruelly intricate folding into a bizarre quasi nine eight time signature and nearly tipping the duo off a cliff but that's clearly where they feel most satisfied Howling on the Brink. Oh, the drama. Consequence of Sound called this one a whorehound reject. So clearly they did not care for this one. Wow. It shows up in the, uh, the TV series Misfits. And a music video, which James, you touched on, which we touched on last time, shows Jack sporting his top hat, which was the signature look for him on this tour, which we'll get to when we do the Sea of Cowards tour episode eventually, and is one of the main visual differences between this tour and the one prior. 
Uh, the other visual difference, of course, is LJ's handlebar mustache, also evident in this video. Mm. Uh, the video is creepy and features the band wearing a lot of different outfits. As you said, this, this is where they took the um, the cover photos as well. There's a horror vibe to it. Yeah. It's got, like, some ghostly spasm going on. It's like, um, I don't know if you ever saw the movie 13 Ghosts. I did. But the way they, they show ghosts in that is, like, a lot of, like, blurry, fast-moving heads. Like, Yeah, and going from, like nothing to very quick jittery movements that are yes with motion blur back to normal again i can see that it has a really cool scene with i think it's jack standing on a stack of chairs and then allison like telekinetically pulls the chairs apart and (laughs) jack it like lifts out it's yeah and it's got some really cool effects and i really like the eye makeup trick that that allison does on it too she paints an eye on her eyelid and which i think is the cover that's the cover to the single? Yes, right, I, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. There's also a cobwebbed globe that Jack is admiring for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, that's there. I yeah. Didn't didn't quite understand what the point of that was, but really enjoyed the the weird masked men had the weird uh, figures kind of stepping out of the mist again. Yeah. Interesting visuals. Yeah, this is via the uh, that Empire from the Blues uh, unauthorized biography. The video features Mossheart as a witchy Susie Sue, which is spelled S-I-O-U-X-S-I-E and S-I-O-U-X, at mystic war with Magus Jack in the guise of their mutual hero, Captain Beefheart. So I guess Jack is uh, is in the Beefheart mask. And Susie Sue is an English singer known for her work uh, as lead of Susie and the Banshees, from 1976 to 1996. Just looked up Susie and the Banshees, and Allison does look a lot like her, although she also looks a lot like the guy from The Cure. (laughs) (laughs) Via Pitchfork, the Die by the Drop video is being helmed by video visionary Fiona Sigismondi, who directed the White Stripes' Blue Orchid clip, as well as the recent Runaways movie. I don't know if you remember Blue Orchid, James, but that has an extremely similar vibe to this music video. That's the one where Karen is, like, wafting about or whatever. She's I don't know if she's a ghost or she's, like, a corpse or something, but, like... You remember that? Yeah, I have a vague recollection of that. It's it's mostly, like, it's tinged blue, and it's I think it's, like, kind of black and white, washed out, and Karen Elson is, like, this dead bride or something. I vaguely... At the time, Jack was said to be editing six music videos at once. That's insane. Okay. Uh, And one of those would be for the Black Bells. One of them was for the aforementioned Karen Elson's release, which was happening at this time. This one... I don't know what the other three are, but I think Great White Northern Lights was happening around this time, so something might be in the mix from that one. Next up is I Can't Hear You. Uh, I'm sorry, what did you say? I can't hear you? I can't hear you. I'm sorry, what did you say? Oh, what? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, we're bringing it back, (laughs) Paul. Yeah, it's 2004 up in here. (laughs) 
James, I Can't Hear You is uh, the next song we're going to cover here, and uh, we'll just do some tech credits. The engineer on that one, again, our buddy Bill Skib, a solo outing for Bill. Boy, they just gave Bill the keys to the car for I Can't Hear You uh, with assists by Jessica Ruffins, and it's mixed by Vance, Josh, and Jack with no assists. So this one is the most by far stripped-down tech credits I've run into. And James, guess who it was written by? I'm going to guess Allison Mosshart. Yeah, well, you're kind of right. It was written by the whole <laughs> band, James. The entire band wrote I, you this You didn't one. let me finish. Also Jack oh, White. Okay. Also Dean Fertitta. Hey, uh, a glowing review Lawrence. of this. A glowing review of this track at Pitchfork. Uh, the two guitar leads on "I Can't Hear You" sound like they're in the middle of a fiery lovers' argument. Mm. One staying maddeningly calm and steady, while the other bleats and rages. Jack White and Allison Mosshart are old-style rock stars, the types who don't feel like they have to explain everything to you or share it with you. And even if Sea of Cowards sounds more bashed out than labored over, it works. It's a heavy, snarly, physical rock album, and it feels like the work of people so secure in their ass-kicking abilities that they don't have to sweat the details, which I guess I sort of agree, you know? That yeah. sounds about right. I mean, that also sounds like a backhanded compliment, but sure. It does. This song kind of sucks, sure. but it's like the confident kind of sucks. This song sounds like it's fine. It's like a, It's like a general... Dead Weather song. <laughs> I yeah. feel like every Dead Weather song sorta sounds like this. It's a more energetic, finished, rolling in on a burning tire in some ways, okay. I think. Okay. Allison's vocal is fractured and haunting, but overall the thing doesn't really go anywhere all that interesting. But even still, the journey is neat, you know? Yeah. It's like watching a part, the part of the Western movie where the cowboys are riding through the desert to get to the next action scene. It's, it's like a piece of musical landscape gazing. Uh, is how I was thinking about this one. It's just sort of out there. The track was featured in the movie Crazy Stupid Love in 2011, starring Steve Carell, Ryan Gosling, Julianne Moore, Emma Stone, Marissa Tomei, and Kevin Bacon. So there's our Kevin Bacon connection. And it was also in the TV series Gossip Girl, James. Ah. Did you know that? The one in the same show that had the Get Behind Me Satan cake. Yeah, that's right. And the, so clearly there's a Jack White fan on that show. And it's 1,000% not Aaron Sorkin, who I believe we accredited that to at some point. Yeah, no, it was definitely not Mr. Sorkin. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine the Aaron Sorkin gossip They're They're walking to some place. They've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, I like this one. I, I really like the end. I like the break in this one. The, the break in this one is similar to breaks in the other ones. I, I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, the, the riff's kind of fun. The Yeah, I, I would agree. It's a, The song feels open concept. As in, like, uh, they, they've, they've tore down the walls of a room and yeah. of, of a song, and you could just... Yeah just see the rest of the song before you and Allison has those re- weird echoey vocals that are kind of vocal fry which is fun yeah so yeah that's uh you know it's pretty middle of the road dead weather song but done with gusto which I think you could say about a lot of these tracks James they're ambiance really they're the dead weather carries with it an ambiance and that ambiance is the low hum of the goth universe in the form of uh those four people yeah Sure, yeah, I'll give you that. Well, James, you know what we have to do to keep that low hum moving? We gotta give it some fuel, and I say we give it some gasoline. Diesel.
Dead Weather song Gasolina Boom Chipum 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 Yankee I think that's a Daddy Yankee song Oh wait uh, no sorry Yankee. Dead Weather <laughs> I meant de- I meant Daddy Weather The uh, tech credits on this one Engineer is Joshua V. Smith uh, Solo uh, With recording assist- assists By Max Satch Satchmo uh, James this is another one That was written by the whole band and uh, I think it's a standout track. I, you know, I love this one when it came out. It may, uh, next to Blue Blood Blues and Hustle and Cuss, I think I may like this one the most out of the rest of the tracks. It's a little too simple for me. The, the lyrical diversity is pretty sparse because it's just Allison shouting that she wants to uh, burn me in, uh, in a big fire with some gasoline, which is great. Love that. But, well... I mean, figuratively speaking, I think the song is about how she doesn't want a she doesn't want a sensitive boyfriend. She just wants a she just wants a f- machine. Right. She wants to smell the gasoline. That's she wants a machine. That's that's for sure what it's it's got to be. Yeah. So cool your engines for me. I don't want a sweetheart. I want a machine. Yeah. No. It's it's definitely about sex. So anyway, I like this one a lot. I think it's the most direct. I could kind of like grasp this one the most out of the rest I kind of like it sort of hums along and then it's got that NME remarks it's got a staccato growl which sounds like a rock show in a haunted house black and sticky Allison Mosshart sliding up the lover crooning you're so close to me I can smell the gasoline yeah again it's pretty samey with the other material although I think it's got some of the most sexually charged lyrics the band has ever tackled at least the most direct ones uh, which makes it an instantly memorable and stand out on the record yeah I will tell you I have very fond memories of blasting this song with you in the car after leaving the Jack White Merriweather show Yes. Um, at Mike Jezaitis's car. That's right. That's uh, right. Yes. And that all was of great. us were screaming, uh, screaming we at the top the of gasoline. our lungs. <laughs> <laughs> well, James, uh, on to something that doesn't run on gasoline. No horse. Well, some horses. No horse. No horse ever ran on gasoline. Nah. It runs on gasoline. Paul's still stuck on the daddy Yankee. Man, this is a train wreck. Uh, Trains also (laughs) don't run on gasoline. We learned that from Back to the Future 3. Tech credits on No Horse here. We have engineer Bill Skib is back again. Hey, the uh, Skip Man. With, he's there with Vance Powell with recording assist by Jessica Ruffins and Joshua V. Smith. It's mixed by Vance and Jack with assist by Joshua V. Smith. Note the exact same configuration as Blue Blood Blues, which I am taking to mean this one was recorded with in the same session as Blue Blood Blues. I would believe that, since what are the odds of that exact same configuration showing up on more than one track? which happens a couple times in here, so that's my guess. Could be wrong. 
That is my guess. I find this song exhausting. Uh, it's one of my... Look, we try and stay positive on this show. I would say, you know, I like all Jack White songs for one reason or another. I think this one is one of my least favorite tracks. Were we to do another Would You Fight For My Love episode, this would probably be on it. There's some notable exceptions to that, though. I love the line about cigarette smoking on itself. I think that's kind of a nice little thing, a little bit of Allison flair that works quite well. And the end of this one ends in a cool, grandiose jam which i really like so i like those two things about it james your thoughts on no horse i really enjoy allison's pronunciation of cigarette i uh, always liked that other than that this one does kind of well in the realm of sameness like you said it, it could come it could have come off of whorehound and i would be no the wiser but uh yeah i like it it's good it's not a standout track to me although like i said i do like the the, the cigarette pronunciation it that that's the engaging part to me is when i hear her say that then i click in yeah. and i'm like yes okay well, well that's the thing about the dead weathers right is that no matter how tedious i find any of the sameness there's always some little thing about every song i latch on to and say oh that's kind of cool like on the new album mm-hmm. like cop and go i don't really like all that much but i kind of like some of the bits especially when they change tempo and stuff so I don't know. Like all Dead Weather stuff, there's things I like about this and things I don't. Yes. Agree. Some nice drum work on this from Jack, which again reminds us that this record is still Jack the Drummer. Quote from Jack, I think this intensity is just something that comes naturally when we play together. When we started, our sound was already a kind of extremely heavy blues. No one said, okay, let's play like this, write songs and look like that. (laughs) We wrote and it came like that very interesting you have nothing to say or ask others things come as they come it's very attractive and exciting it also explains why the second album came so soon after the first one he's sounding a little more like like a southern plantation owner every time (laughs) yeah no he really is he's turning into butterball paul this song and i i have no idea if it's in your notes this song was released in a vault package oh tell me more james it was in uh, released in vault package number three but not just the song the first take of the song which i would assume is the demo version that they uh, originally recorded and it was backed with jawbreaker as well a another first take released really? in uh, 2010 Wow, I did not know that. That is very cool. See, these these early vaults, we've really got to do a vault show and talk about some of these early vaults because I don't, I'm not familiar. I wasn't a vault subscriber until way late, so I'm not familiar with these early ones at all. Me neither. Side note, No Horse First Take is way better than No Horse Album Take. Cool. Very, very cool. Um, So that's all I had here on No Horse. I guess we're going to move on here to 
one of my other favorites on the album. Top four for sure. Looking at the Invisible Man. Ah. <laughs> Credits on this John Hampton and Vance Powell with recording assist by Lydia Gilman and Joshua V. Smith. Mixed by Vance, Hampton, and Jack with assist by Joshua V. Smith. And it was written by Jack White and Dean Fertitta, which may explain why I like it so much because uh, I love both of their songwriting independently of one another and combined think they make quite a nice team. Yeah, I think Dean's songwriting is always uh, a fun break away from the the usual Jack and Allison kind of stuff. Yes. Looking at The Invisible Man, another favorite of mine, as we said, uh, it opens with that really cool Moog synthesizer or Moog, depending on which side of the pond you're on, from Dean Fertitta, when it's got that and some of those effects, which are which are pretty neat, and some of the audio distortion. I think last episode, James, you called it Boarding House Reach-esque, or one of the first times Jack has played with that kind of distortion, and I uh, think that for sure applies to a track like this. This song, I think, would be right at home on Boarding House Reach. You know what? You're probably right. It's a little too uh, gritty for Boarding House Reach. Uh, Uh, As opposed to Jack screaming, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Fair take. Fair take. It feels a little more raw. I would say quirky. I mean, uh, it's got the same. That's what I mean. It's got that same quirky kind of offbeat strange yet weirdly compelling it it reminds me of every sound i hear better than the last okay yeah you know a little sort of distorted and almost like a dynamite blast like a yeah but it's like it's being sung underwater but like it's not regular water it's like the upside down version of water or something like it's like evil water it's like it's being sung into evil water (laughs) Quote Paul. (laughs) Um, uh, Hearing this song a lot again recently, it struck me just how similar it is to Cut Like a Buffalo. In fact, I think it's the same chords at roughly the same tempo. I would love to hear like a live cut of this transitioned into From Buffalo. So Cut Like a Buffalo into Invisible Man. They really are essentially the same song. dead weather songs oh that's that same song yeah it's got that quintessential dead weather guitar effects pedal going on that makes the guitar as paul would say sound like evil water 
And yeah, I'd say that I would call it a guitar belch. Like each note is a is a different belch, like a yeah. like a fun party trick at a fraternity where a guy's doing the alphabet through burping. Sure, that's that's how I would do it. Uh, frat boy burp trick. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, well, like a drunk tank. It, it almost it does have a little like a drunken nature to it. it sort of sways off off kilter and weird ways. Um, it. it it is one of my favorites from the Dead Weather, just in general. I have very fond memories of playing this one very loud, and forgive me if I'm repeating this story, but... I used to drive to work every single morning for years with this guy, mm-hmm. called him Y.O. Love that guy. Uh, yeah, Y.O., who worked in the warehouse at, at my old company, and you know we would drive in every morning, and I, I would be there in my polo shirt, uh, listening to the Dead Weather. Um... <laughs> And I had this on one morning, and this is about to make sense in a moment, but he's a fellow of Puerto Rican descent, and so he doesn't traditionally listen to a band like the Dead Weather, just, it's not kind of his thing, but he took a big drag of this blunt he rolled, <laughs> and listening to this song, I just went, man, white people listen to weird music. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when Paul put on Who's a Big Baby. <laughs> Um, so that's literally the first thing I think of every time I hear this song. I think, James, you brought up an interesting point last episode. Uh, the Invisible Man does sound an awful lot like the nameless, faceless attackers on the internet, trolls, that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. I think that is probably the best explanation I, I've i heard for this song because it does really fit with stuff. And we also know that dead weather songs are written more like in the studio, just sort of screaming out stream of consciousness stuff. And I feel like that concept is quite top of mind for Jack white. It's so top of mind. He had to wear a top hat in this era just to contain it. Uh, so I think James, you, you're onto something there. That would be my guess. We don't know for sure. Of course, if there's an interview out there with Jack explaining the meaning of this song, uh, I did not find it, but uh, it is very possibly out there. If someone wants to write in and tell us. We're all ears. We are just people on the internet talking about Jack White. So maybe we're the problem uh, and we're the I invisible man. I think we are. Man. Are we the invisible man? Well, they, they we're get... the invisible man. <laughs> doom, boom, boom. We're the, the invisible man. man. <laughs> Moving on from there, James, we move on to uh, another song that I could take or leave. Jawbreaker. Uh, the song I always forget what it sounds like. It really grinds along. This one does, it reminds me of some kind of machine constantly, like a mill grinding stuff. I don't know. There's a lot of. Oh, yeah. Gear, gears turning yeah. or a clockwork or something like that. Uh, would you say uh, you want a machine? I don't want a sweetheart. No. All right, then. <laughs> Tech assists on this. Again, Vance Powell with recording assist by Joshua V. Smith, mixed by Vance and Jack, with something called DJ Mix assists by joshua v smith james in editing this and you're if you are able to find a jawbreaker dj mix i will owe you a coke because oh god i can't recall ever hearing that i found an acoustic version really yeah from 2009 tell me about it james it sounds like a raconteur song really 
Joel is like old enough or something. It's Jack White playing the slide guitar, Allison singing softer, and was apparently released on the Third Man Records website back when they were doing that because they did that a couple times. I remember they did a Top Yourself remix during the Lazaretto tour. Well, now that you say Top version. Yourself, this is this song is basically Top Yourself. Yeah. It sounds like Top Yourself mixed like Top Yourself. It was if it was released on the Cold Mountain soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Like it was a mandolin or something. Yeah, all. that's crazy. Good find, James. Well, that is interesting. Perhaps the most interesting thing I've ever heard about Jawbreaker, the song. <laughs> <laughs> I just find it a little samey. Uh, it was written by Allison, Dean, and LJ, No Jack in Sight. And this is another track where the beat break at the end outshines the rest of the song for me. I find this one sort of forgettable except for that part. Actually reminds me the most of a Kills track over anything else on the record. And along the lines of Allison's influence, when asked what sets the Dead Weather apart from other projects LJ has worked on, he said, Allison. Allison, yeah. It's great having someone that really controls the stage like that. You look around and you see everyone's eyes fixed on her. I can, you know, stay back and just concentrate on making good, exciting music. So that is uh, LJ talking about what sets the dead weather apart. And his answer, Alison Mosshart. It's probably not wrong. No. And to give you something spooky about Jawbreaker, and in, in because it's Halloween-ish around that time. Yeah. I can um, smell the Halloween. I'll have you know that uh, Jawbreaker was played on Halloween night in 2009 before the album was released during a set at a london church in shoreditch live broadcasted from nme really on october 31st so yeah uh jawbreaker was was played i can't hear you was also played and uh they also aired covers of forever my queen Ah. and you just can't win oh both of of those are pretty cool yeah yeah all all kinds of great songs going on there james very cool stuff thanks for uh filling us in on some jawbreaker materials yeah, it's a, it's a fun little thing um, you might not have known about the Halloween. Oh, and there's an interview for it, too. I'm Allison, uh, I'm sitting in Shortage Church. I'm Jack, and I'm sitting next to her. I'm Dean, uh, just kind of wandered in here, too. I'm Jack Lawrence. And... What we're doing here is uh, my label, Third Man Records, is uh, opening a record store in this church. Instead Boss. of clicking a mouse, instead of a clicking a mouse and pressing clicking buy it now. You actually have to get up and walk or take a car to a different location on the earth and walk through doors and uh, pick something up. Well, I don't know, time. I don't think we have any time. but <laughs> We don't have time, yeah. The second record's going to come about really quickly as well, but uh, it's going to be uh, an intense experience, I think, to get back in there. We have a lot of new songs kicking around. <laughs> it's still happening. We go into a sound check and just to te- check the mics, and then we come out with a song half the time, so... Uh, that's that's good. That's in, that's called inspiration. Uh, well, James, play. that brings us to the last track on the album, "Old Mary, Full of Grease." Oh, full of grease. Old Mary, full of grease. Your heart stops within. Scary are the fruits of your tomb, and harsh are the terms of your sentence. Old Mary, sister of mine, mother to the world, carry this burden now until the moment of your last breath. Please tell me you have some information on this because I need to know. I need to know what kind of weird drugs Jack was on when he wrote this. <laughs> well, not too much. Um, 
We'll do the tech uh, tech credits on this. Engineer Vance Powell with recording assist by Joshua V. Smith. Mixed by Vance and Jack with assist by Josh. This one was solely written by Jack White. Shocker. Nah, yeah. This one could have got stuck on the end of Lazaretto, I think. Uh, this one is a, another hint of things to come. Jack's eccentricities to the fore. It is also one I recall from that golden era when I first got this album that I was made fun of mercilessly uh, by my roommate at the time, Vintaturo, friend of the show, filmmaker Vintaturo, who was like, this is stupid. Um, I think <laughs> it is kind of charming and I find it sort of tongue in cheek and kind of funny and catchy. And I always sort of look forward to old Mary, even though I don't know if it's a song so much as a poem with music. It's, it's weird, but it's not the weirdest thing Jack's ever put out, and it's not the first time Jack will ever put some kind of weird poem on an album. That is true. May I please have another cup of tea? Um, James, that, is, that idea is totally absurd. But it's, it's, it's an odd one. Like you said, I do kind of look forward to it when it comes on. Yeah. Maybe because we've we've turned it into a an inside joke <laughs> or an inside meme, if you will, and between us. I will and um, I will. I James, I will. I I think I'm the first person to say inside meme mm-hmm. in a serious way. Yeah. In an unironic context. Uh, Spin magazine called this one a rotting ominous prayer. I found this from the Empire from the Blues book. Uh, Hammond organ carries this surreal supernatural eulogies tune over hip-hop rhythms and a chittering cacophony. It comes from a stranger imagination than the rest of the album, but the personal vulnerabilities Jack let into his other bands, like the songwriting and storytelling he always claimed was central, were weakest in the dead weather. Not a uh, not an unfair claim, I don't think. Uh, it is heavily reminiscent of the Hail Mary prayer of the Catholic faith, Hail Mary, full of grace, our Lord is with thee, blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and to the hour of our death. Amen. That is uh, essentially this song just turned on its head. Instead of Hail Mary, it's Old Mary, full of grace. And I think it's, I always interpreted it as a comment on like gluttonous American culture, similar to like uh, Wally or something like that. Uh, that. That is always how I interpreted it. Via song meanings, other people sort of writing varies what they think it means, but uh, to me, the meaning of the song is pretty obvious. I think it's about mankind and the Gulf oil spill, or rather the destruction and pollution of nature done by mankind. I didn't get that at all. But he, this person here is saying that the old Mary is mother nature. I, I don't know. I, Full of BPs grease sort of plausible i guess but that's just somebody speculating on the internet i don't think i don't think i've got anything from jack here talking about what it means but i always felt i always interpreted it as gluttonous culture or a uh, a disavowalment of gluttony what about you james what do you got i mean that's as good a guess as i have if he played this one live old mary live would make me the happiest boy on the planet <laughs> I think. And I we know there's a live version because they played all of Sea of Cowards straight through at Third Band Records, and I assume this one elsewhere live on the tour. I sincerely hope one day Jack dusts off Old Mary, much like he dusted off $3 Hat. I mean, it does have that really cool, like, outro. Now to the moment of his last breath. Last breath. <laughs> James, that brings us to the end of the album, but it's not over yet. There is a hidden track, a play-out groove 
that is hidden in the pre-gap. Uh, it's 37 seconds. It's listed on the on all the websites in conjunction with the album. But honestly, I n- never even thought about this as a separate track before. But it's listed on like Discogs as its own thing. Via Pitchfork, in the latest example of Jack White revering all things tangible and exclusive and vinyl, uh, comes news of two hidden tracks on the super limited edition split color vinyl version of the Dead Weather's latest Sea of Cowards. And apparently two brief tracks are carved into the record's center label. And we know one of those is, I believe, Mile Markers, James, right? That is one of the tracks. I believe Mile Markers is one of them. I'm a cool rock flamingo. It's a black market bingo that we used to play, but we don't play no more. We still travel, playing retail games. He didn't try to stop Jennifer Christian names, pointing out foreign payphones, and then for the four. Now I just count mile markers between your door and my door. And the other is some kind of incomprehensible garglings. Well, James, I know, I know, I trust you'll find those garglings and place them right here. Let's listen. <laughs> you know it. Paul. Let's listen in, shall we? With that incomprehensible gargle brings us to the end of the track by track. James, let's get into some reception. Uh, Reaction to this album was generally positive. The album debuted uh, on the Billboard Top 200 at number five and uh, number three on the top rock albums. It has at the time of this writing in September 2015 uh, sold more than 171,000 copies in the U.S., which is uh, no small thing. Uh, it's That's pretty good showing for a Jack release that doesn't have Jack White or the White Stripes in the title. I would say so. Sea of Cowards ranked number 11 on Rolling Stone's 30 Best Albums of 2010. Other notables on that list, Yay Sayers' Odd Blood, great album if you've never heard that one. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Neil Young's Les Noyes. MIA's Maya, also extremely good. Kid Rock's Born Free. A Black Keys album, <laughs> LCD Sound Systems, This Is Happening, also very good. Robert Plant's Band of Joy and Drake's Thank Me Later, along with Vampire Weekend, uh, releases from Arcade Fire, Elton John, Leon Russell. And James, do you want to guess what the number one album ranked by Rolling Stone in 2010 was? I'm going to go ahead and guess that it is... Fergie. Yeah, it's Fergie. The Archduke Ferdinand. Uh, it is Kanye West's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Again with the Kanye West. Yeah, he really made that chart great again. This is via the Rolling Stone article. This isn't so much an LP as it is a rush of metallic blues spasms and the best excessive rock fun of the year. Jack White is the backseat guy, a singing drummer, but he leads by example. His bottom-like force propels the zigzagging guitars and Alison Mosshart's gothic siren incantations. Upon its initial release on May 11th, Rolling Stone's David Frick gave the album four and a half out of five stars, saying, technically, these 11 tracks are songs with titles and hooks. The... <laughs> 
That's how this review started. The effect, though, is more like a precisely arranged parade of spasms blasted at you in a kind of oral IMAX. Last year's Whorehound had the same feral air, but the moving parts on Sea of Cowards, the distortion on Fertitta's guitar riffs and Die by the Drop, and the clang of White's pie plate cymbal crashes in Hustle and Cuss, his and Moss Hart's incantory bursts and lost soul harmonies come faster, meaner, and fatter. There are more single-worthy tunes on White's records with the tours in the White Stripes. He prefers his blues with limits, but with this band's but with this band, White lets himself go over the top. Don't be too cool to go along with him, says Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, I mean, that's that's a positive review, albeit yeah, a, a little I backhanded. It's it's positive. Their journalism is top tier. Yeah, excess words. Yeah. Um, according to Billboard magazine, the grinding blues that drives tracks like Hustle and Cuss and Gasoline take the dead weather to a new level of intensity. This one had four out of five stars on M- on NME. Uh, Entertainment Weekly said it was 35 minutes of furious guitar solos and demonic howls, and NPR reviewed the record as follows. Jack White has long found a way to to do virtually anything he wants in music. As a label executive in charge of Third Man Records, he's never pressed a CD. Not true, I don't think. Opting instead for vinyl and digital-only releases. Uh, As a singer of the godzillion-selling rock titan The White Stripes, he can't release a new album every few months so he's made multiple names for himself with multiple bands sea of cowards is no sterile product of endless studio tinkering at 35 minutes it's blistering and compact slab of thunderous bluesy hard rock whether it shines a spotlight on white or moss heart born out of aggression more than invention it's an appropriately barbed and consistently sturdy addition to white's rapidly expanding canon so that means across the pond they were kind of drinking the dead weather kool-aid as well it seems that way which i'm happy about i mean the dead weather deserves some some credit here although it's weird that everybody does consider it a jack white thing dean fertita is in a huge rock band yeah allison mossart also in a huge rock band, Jack Lawrence, in many rock bands. Another positive review from Spin, which uh, had this to say about Jack and Allison. Between Jack and Allison, there's a whole lot of id spilled out onto the garage floor. Either she's his evil twin or he's hers, but their dirty, ferocious urges are uncontainable. On the Dead Weather's second album, they harness this icy alpha dog tension in a distorted call-and-response aggression that's now greater than the sum of its parts, a rudely heavy swath of rock and roll authority. Sure. I think that's kind of a really fair assessment of the band, actually. I, they're, they're dueling front people, but it's never it never seems like unhealthy competition. It always seems earned and like it blends with one another like they elevate each other pitchforks tom brennan rated sea of cowards 7.8 out of 10 that's an extremely precise uh measuring system noting that it's heavy snarly physical rock album and it feels like the work of people so secure in their ass-kicking abilities that they don't have to sweat the details (laughs) and the bbc liked it too uh, as well as Blair Magazine, uh, who remarked that the album combines the group's sinister attitude with dreary funk and sex appeal. So, James, it's a modest seller, but a critical darling. And instead of people being embarrassed by the slightly, you know, gothy overtones, they seem to be embracing them and recognizing the blues and quality underneath. They're not taking it too seriously because they know that the band is 
a little tongue in cheek as well. Yeah. Uh, so James, what do you say we rate this a record? What do you say? I would love to get into the rating system, Paul. James, we haven't rated a record in a while. You want to tell the people how to do it? I would love to. We've embraced the wonderful rating system uh, that we like to call the Cold Stone Creamery system. Do you have uh, every which is, time? <laughs> come hell or high water, they'll sponsor us, Paul. They will. Uh, the system. The system is rated out of three men. I thought it was rated X, James. Uh, one for we like it. Two for we love it. And three for we've gotta have it. That's the Cold Stone Creamery system, Paul, and it is foolproof. And, uh, you know, that's what we do. We, we rate it like that because if we rated it out of 10 or out of 5, uh, everything would be like a 4 or a 7 and above. You know, it's that kind of that kind of stuff. So we do it out of the 3. Paul, would you like to give your rating? I like this album way more than Whorehound, uh, and I actually think it's in my top Jack records, uh, but that comes with some caveats. The big things about this album for me is that the highs are incredibly high, like Blue Blood Blues, Hustle and Cuss, uh, and some of the various jam breakdowns, etc. But when this one gets low, I find it just sort of grading in a similar way to Whorehound. Sometimes the tracks sound so similar, I find it hard to tell them apart. The thing starts to become one long jam, which is fine, but a 35-minute jam is a little much to swallow. It's not quite a 35-minute jam, but I, it gets, the, it feels that way sometimes. That said, there are things I don't just like, but I love on every single track. In fact, track for track, I think this is the strongest album in the Dead Weathers catalog, easily by leaps and bounds. Funnily enough, even though the Strongs are individually stronger than Whorehound, Whorehound I find to have more variety than this one, and therefore I think it actually holds together more as a record than this one does. But just like in art, contrast is important. It's why when things like the jam breakdowns in I'm Mad and such happen, they stand out as so compelling. It's just that I find this record on the whole to be lacking in that regard, but overall, I do really like the songwriting and I love the instrumentation and I think it's a strong record. I have good memories of buying it at that Best Buy in Yonkers on Central Ave, and I think I would have to give this record, James, a 2.25 out of three men. Wow. Surprising. I like it. I like this record. I listen to it a lot, you know, and I think listenability really counts for something. There's a lot of, I'm seeing a lot of like, is this album better? Is that album better on like some Facebook groups I'm a part of? And I re- it comes down to listenability. Which do I put on? I will put on Blue Blood Blues. I will put on Hustle and Cuss. I will put on Invisible Man. I will put on Gasoline. Those are the thing. Those are the four tracks I sort of put on from this album. But they're pretty good four tracks. Does that mean it would have made a better EP? (laughs) I don't know. I'm happy we have it. You know, uh, I think it's an interesting experiment. I'm very happy Jack did the dead weather because I would rather have that than him sitting somewhere waiting for Meg. You know what I mean? So there you go. 2.25 out of 3. That's mine. How about you, James? Well, uh, like you, I do think this is a, a better, stronger album than Whorehound in general. I, I do disagree. I do think this is a more cohesive album than, than Whorehound was. Maybe, I, I understand your point about it being a little disjointed. Anyway, I, I do, I think it's a, a, a solid album. I do like Dodge and Burn better than this one. Really? Uh, so this is my second favorite Dead Weather album, Whorehound, uh, being underneath this one. Yeah, this this has everything I like in a Dead Weather album. It's got theatrics. It's got the goth aggressive aesthetic. It's got the the fun dark themes. And apparently, it's all about the internet. I, I kids know I, I love the internet. Yeah, 
right? You're one yeah. of the kids. You know, it's got a lot that I like. It's got a lot of great songs. And I would say that this album is a, a good, it's a good length. Uh, it's a, <laughs> it's, it's 30, it's 30 some odd minute le- uh, length is actually, um, I think the best way to, um, kind of frame a dead weather album because it's bite size you could put this on and finish listening to it in under 45 minutes and i think that's important for this band because it's not too much to take all at once we talked to mick collins and he says there's not many bands i'd like to listen to uh for an hour straight and this one you definitely don't have to because it's quick it's bite size and even if you don't like a song, it's over before you know it and you get on to something new. Yeah. It's all got stuff that I like on it. The, the cons are I wish they did push the the themes further. It's got the the fun, weird masks and stuff. I wish they went I wish they went the extra mile and did what they did with like switching the spur uh in the rack and towards. Like put more story into this kind of dark themed band rather than just have it be you guys jamming for extra concert material like Ringo Starr had the point I really want to hear Jack White's version of the point with the dead way yeah. <laughs> like yeah I can see that I don't yeah know. Well, all that being said I, I do love the album it's not my favorite it, I'm gonna put it a at a nice medium two men out of three two men give it a, a two two men all right all right so I think I liked it fractionally more than you but that's uh that's to be expected here on the third men podcast we are gonna both be uh, sycophants to varying degrees indeed yeah yeah uh this is the last little bit here jack said as jack said of this album prior to its release it's bluesier and heavier than we ever thought it could be he went on to elaborate it's a soulful album i would say i know that if i had to make someone listen for the first time i would make him listen to this album a year ago it would have been very different but it is precisely what i am right now precisely what i am right now is a great way to phrase that because that's exactly jack's headspace he was in this weird halloweeny <laughs> witchcraft laden ghostly spectral this, I, place i was gonna say like picasso at his blue period this is jack white's goth period or like spooky period yeah. this is his spooky period yeah for sure he had olivia he had produced olivia jean which is spooky the black bells just spooky yeah, karen's album spooky. karen elson yeah, the ghost who walks. There's a lot of ghostly imagery going on, and on top of that, he's got Elvira coming in. Like this, it's this a very yeah. goth, gothy. It's a spooky time. It's a spooky time. Mm, it's a wonderful night for eyebrows. Yeah. I, I also love the uh, James. One thing we we talked about a little bit last episode and a little bit in this episode is uh, the Captain Beefheartiness of it all. And uh, I would just like to point out for people at home the photo that they were talking about, which Jack is sort of like cosplaying sort of as uh, captain Beefheart. it's funny i'll put the uh, photo up in the uh, uh, on the on our facebook page but i believe it's from the era of uh, captain Beefheart and his magic band the album strictly personal uh when you look at the album art uh, it's got the image that allison describes but also captain Beefheart wore a pretty much identical hat to the sort of puritanical looking hat that Jack is wearing on this album. Uh, not the masks necessarily, but the, the hat for sure. So I did find that and was uh, looking into it. So uh, I, I do appreciate that little beef hearty kind of reference in there as well. And just lastly here from LJ, it's hard to say what you learn from people, but it's there. This band's great because everybody's coming in and writing. So we're all listening to each other. A lot of bands 
doesn't always work that way. One person will come in with a song and then everybody does their part. This one, there's a lot of ideas getting thrown around and everyone's communicating and excited for someone to come up with something. And actually, for real, lastly, Jack told Polish reporters in July of 2010 on tour, quote, This is it for me. This is the last band I'll be a part of. Wow. It's not. Is it not? Kind of is. After this, Solo and Raconteurs and Dead Weather. This is it for me. I think what he means is like, there'll be no fourth band. All right, maybe. Yeah, so far. James, You've convinced me. James, that leaves Sea of Cowards. And what do you say we kick it to our third person for this week? Let's let's kick it to our third person this week, Paul. Um, all right. We would like to welcome to the show Matthew R. Porcelli. Hey! <laughs> it's good to finally have you on here, it, Matt. It is my absolute pleasure. Yeah. I have been a, a long-time listener, and I am a first-time caller. Which is another thing I've always wanted to be, <laughs> and uh, super psyched to be here with y'all. Uh, really, just a big fan of what you're doing. Oh well, thanks, Matt. Most of the time, it's people who are first time listeners, long time callers, <laughs> because they call us for two hours and only listen to the episode they're in. Now, Matt, I, I haven't. I've known you for about 24 years Good. now, and I have never plucked up the courage to ask you what the R stands for. And we're going to hear it live on the show now, and it better not be fake. Is what I'm saying. Is it Rammstein? <laughs> All right. So the R stands for robot because uh, when I when I was arrived <laughs> into the world, um, most of my body uh, had to be replaced with mechanical parts. So um, okay, yeah, just a little nod to, to my humble beginnings as mostly scrap metal, <laughs> which is probably why I'm so interested in the, in the kinds of sounds that I'm interested in. Well, what what a wonderful segue into the kind of sounds you are interested in. Can you give us a little background? We're we're talking a lot about the dead weather lately, and uh, we have Jan here as a person who could perhaps give us a slightly more hardcore music-based perspective on what the dead weather uh, sort of represent to that community and and represent to you because James and I have absolutely zero perspective on that. I think it would uh, I think it would be accurate. Yeah to say so um you're gonna be our sherpa you're gonna be our johnny rotten uh minus the maga shirt and um <laughs> and uh and we're gonna walk through it here but let's let's start with what you what let's start with like your your sweet spot for music can you give us a little uh can you give us a little background on what your what your picks are I mean, my record collection is uh I, I would consider it pretty eclectic i have everything from uh bunny whaler to weird German micro house but generally speaking okay. I have been a, a, a heavy metal devotee since I was very young and uh, I'm very attracted to abrasive sounds and uh, plotting beats and people with either very high or very low voices um, singing about ruminating about like power and prestige and strength and pretty much the, the kinds of music that people who probably got beat up in high school need to make you feel better about it and that is definitely definitely okay all right would would german micro house be a cuckoo clock i mean yes but you also have to put a very like slight synth on it and an even slighter Mm. drum machine so it's like (laughs) (laughs) now matt you're also 
<laughs> You're also into hip hop too. Is that is that right? That, that is the real rap. I yeah. got an LL Cool J LP in 1994, and it obliterated my mind. <laughs> you just, you're just like, man, this guy licks his lips with the best of them. I'm gonna listen to this for the rest of my life. Uh, the Kangol spoke to me in a way that, like, the gospel <laughs> speaks to people who truly appreciate Jesus. Um, <laughs> and then I got a little bit older and realized he was really he was making music for the girls. So I took my own Kango and I ripped it off and I threw it away. And that was one of my largest regrets. Well, now you can no longer okay. swim through society with a shark's fin. Yeah. It is. You are the deepest and the bluest, Matt. I am the deepest and the bluest in my soul and everywhere else. Mm. And now we went on, I, I, and forgive me for embarrassing you for a moment, but we went on a brief divergence into the uh, rap rock boon of the mid to late 90s uh, as well. Oh, it's true. You know, it's true. Three, $3 bill, uh, y'all, and et cetera. New metal was built for for people like me, uh, young, kind of just aware that they're just they should be angry about something, but not really have a direction for it. And you, you had access to rock, and you had access to hip hop. Yeah. And uh, we I could go on forever about new metal, but it was the trap I got stuck in, and. Uh, I wouldn't get stuck in it again, but it was a great ride while it lasted. Yeah, you know, we're not trying to yuck any yums over here. I think, uh, oh, no. you know, that's all right. I mean, and in fact, probably have, has... Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, I, James, I, I, I am staunchly against umlauts, so that's my only uh, <laughs> yum that I'm yucking. But. Yeah, um, but there's, there's some odd overlap with, I think, new metal at what it like what it is at its core with what we're talking about here now, the dead weather in that there is a blending going on of some hip hop elements and some, uh, harder rock elements that are not quite as, uh, maybe you'd call it heavy handed as say like corn or something, but like there is definitely something there, albeit with perhaps stronger or more blues, more blues based, shall we say underpinnings. So let's talk a little bit about what brought you to the dead weather. Did, did you start with the first album? Were you, were you on this from the beginning or is it something you discovered later? And what were your general feelings about like Jack stuff beforehand? Keeping in mind that we, we totally support whatever that answer is, even if it's, I thought he was all bullshit. No, no. Uh, I, I always appreciated Jack White, like the, the kinds of sounds that he was presenting to audiences when I kind of, when he was kind of just first blowing up with uh, Fell in Love with a Girl, yeah. Dead Leaves in the Dirty Ground. Very raucous noisy. Jack has a real ear for distortion and how to use feedback. Yeah. And that's, I was eating that up with a fork and knife. Like I couldn't get enough. Uh, however, in, in the same vein, like I was also being on a direction where I wanted to engage with heavier stuff, so Jack kind of went to the wayside. Mm -hmm. However, when people started talking about the first Deadweather album, Warhound, they were talking about this very kind of Black Sabbathy style blues rock with that kind of really expressive level of, of distortion and feedback and yeah. how guitars can make those noises, uh, those very powerful noises that it, that it have attracted rock audiences for so long. Yeah. And it was, it really was, it was a, a kind of a hook in my mouth where beforehand I was like, I can definitely groove to a Jack record, 
but I wouldn't go out and necessarily buy mm-hmm. one. Right. But right. now I was like, this was the sounds I wanted to hear from him in the Jack, in his very particular, I called it Jack Sabbath. Very much like those, those kind of big 70s hard rock riffs with just stripped of all that kind of, some kind of pretentious yeah. level of yeah. oomph yeah. that a, a Tony Iommi has or a, or like a Deep Purple. Uh-huh. It's, it's a Jack stripped down, no frills thing with this the very driving beat, very hip hop kind of thing, very kind of steadily, but it's it's raucousy and it's noisy and it's got kind of this wall of sound thing to it. And uh, Alison Moss's voice that would actually I think she'd be a great like conventional metal vocalist. Yeah, yeah. Everything going on here is just wow. Uh, this is this is what I would have wanted to hear from from Jack in the beginning. Yeah, because when the Dead Weather came out, uh, it it did come off as a little bit of a goth pastiche. Or, or something of, of the sort. And to somebody who is who is more into the music that some of this seems to be aping, did it, did it ever come off or come across as them trying to do something they couldn't do or shouldn't do? I wouldn't say that okay. at all. I think that if, if Jack had tried to do something, or the band in general, because, I mean, I, I, it's not just him. I think the, if that band had attempted to do something much more, like much more aggressive like kind of like doing a a a third man records cannibal corpse thing it would not have worked I don't think it works this way (laughs) Uh, with with anything they're with anything they're doing they're approaching the music from a place that they feel comfortable with yeah but it's also very different from other stuff that all of these people have been involved with it's a far cry from the kills and from uh, the raconteurs and other bands that all these folks have been in but it's they're doing it in their fashion and I think that's that's what draws me to it is it's not leaning on the cliches mm-hmm. yeah and it's not trying to be anything that it's not okay well that's let's let's uh, talk about that for a minute because I think oftentimes at least in my more music snobbish years uh, which we all care to forget uh, <laughs> I think I said the word authenticity a lot Paul wore a lot of blazers um, at that point yeah <laughs> but So I I hesitate to use the word authentic, but what I find often separates Jack from being embarrassing when he tries new things is it always seems to come from a place of honest love for the style. So, like, even though he's not a rapper, when he raps in a song, it comes from a place, like you said, of comfort, like he's comfortable doing it, which I think for him is a personal authenticity the same way as something slightly uh, something slightly harder rocking might be like a sabbath like you mentioned that sort of thing it's coming from this personally authentic place what is your what are your thoughts about authenticity in music is that all are we all allowed to do whatever it is we want to do or do you have to have some some real feeling or or inherent feeling of ownership over something in order to attempt it there has to be a level of understanding of the of the form, the genre form. Yeah, like you'll have folks who probably don't engage with certain kinds of music very often, but because they understand like how the song structures work or how a certain kind of melody works, they're able to do it at a high level. Okay. Now the the authenticity argument that was a thing for a, a much earlier time in life. You know, you worry about things coming off as as not being real. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think that that's just kind of an insecurity 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you if you love something enough to put your time into trying to make it, you might not always be what you want it to be, but it came from a place of of honest love. And if you cared about something, and even if it's if it's not you know commercially great, you can love it for what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think that most of yeah. my favorite artists, you know, they they love certain kinds of music. They would never be able to play it. I think of uh, John Darnell from the Mountain Goats explaining in many, many tweets to me how <laughs> he would never be able to be in a death metal band because even though he, you know, worships at the altar of this music, he just his hands can't make that those kinds of uh, make those kinds of chords work. He can't tap fast enough. He certainly can't make those kinds of noises with his throat without like breaking everything inside of his head. Right, and that's a perfectly reasonable. Those are, those are perfectly reasonable reasons not to do something. Yeah, yeah. I and think, the same should be true across the board. I think what you're what you what you're tapping into here is like it's not truth that you should necessarily be looking for in approach to music, but maybe love is the more appropriate. Like, truth is subjective, I guess. Sometimes in terms of like what is what is real for you and what is you know something you're appropriating or something like that but it, but if there's love there I feel like that kind of can carry some of that weight you know yeah absolutely uh, you know there's a historical or a personal or a scientific truth we can all you know doing the Pat and Picard thing the first duty of every Starfleet officer is to the truth whether it's scientific truth or historical truth or personal truth it is the guiding principle on which Starfleet is based yeah, yeah, yeah. you know uh, that we can all look to when we're, we're making any kind of art, but I think when stuff comes from a, from a real place of appreciation, yeah. that's when it's real. Yeah, and especially yeah. because that appreciation will allow you to show respect or whatever for what came before if you're trying to do something that hasn't been done or, or that has been done before and, you're, and you truly love it, you're going to want to prop that up as the the core of what you're doing you're not going to say i'm this is my thing it's my art because you yeah. like it so much yeah love it love and respect i guess would be hand in hand no, absolutely but yeah. like, we, we talk a lot about like the appropriative elements of things in art and i think that there are absolutely great questions and conversations to be had about um, what kinds of sounds or styles or whatever um belong to cultures or persons etc but I think that a thing that we're not talking enough about is cultural pre or not just cultural, but like appreciation of things mm-hmm. and how they're appreciated. And when you love something, like when you really love it, you respect it. Yeah. And there are oftentimes things that you respect enough that you're not going to attempt. And there are other kinds of art that you that you love to an to an absurd amount that you're like, I can do this in a way that I know that I didn't disrespect anybody or I'm not stepping on toes, right. et cetera, by producing yeah. it. Sure. So let's let's talk a little bit about, like, I, I'm curious, and you would have the the vocabulary or the encyclopedic sort of pull, pull for something like this, but let's – is there a, a group – that you would find comparable to the sound of the dead weather in sort of a modern context. I know we touched on Sabbath and things like that, but is there anyone that gets close to looking to do the kinds of things that Jack and Allison and Dean and LJ were trying to do, but out of out of the realm of third man records? Is there anybody you can think of like that? The stuff that reminds me the most of the dead weather is a... Uh metal subgenre called sludge which okay. is this uh, you take uh, like punk music and you slow it the heck down 
and you pour a little southern rock in there and you have this uh, kind of groovy anthemic music that is probably what I would most compare to the dead weather okay ASG uh, amplification of self gratification the first time I heard Whorehound, I'm like this sounds a lot like them it's definitely more bluesy yeah but the kind yeah. of, of sounds that are being presented how instruments are being played um, I feel like there's this, this parallel. I'm, uh, I'm always looking to find a new Jack Rabbit Hole, so we'll play a little bit of that here. And I have, uh, it sounds like I have my homework. That's one of the great things I think I feel like I've been given by the uh, the third man sort of fandom is that it's opened up a lot of doors into a lot of things I wouldn't have normally listened to. And that's why the Dead Weather stands out as so unique in that in that canon because you can draw a pretty neat line between like. Blind Willie McTell and the Stooges and Led Zeppelin mm-hmm. and Flat Duo Jets and you put that in a pot and you get Jack and so you can go off in those directions. But it's interesting to to see there are other influences in there such as 
metal, like what you're describing, the sludge, right? Or the psychedelic kind of acid rock that I never really even knew anything about until I started going into it a little more and we, we got into the West Coast Pop Art Experimental Band and stuff. So uh, have you ever done any forays into uh, acid rock stuff at all, Matt? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the 13th Floor Elevators were like that band for me for uh, a little bit into college. Like everything that like Rocky Erickson and, and a bunch of the folks at the late end of the 60s were trying mm-hmm. was, it was a really, like I was, I would never consider myself like a, um, I don't like the phrase classic rock, but like a person who would be like a devotee of a certain era. Yeah. But this particular little part of the 60s where people were really trying to do new cool things with their instruments um, with, you know, uh, the help of some psychedelics was just, that was the coolest thing. And I think that, yeah, absolutely. There is some of that acidy, uh, that acid burn style stuff in the dead weather, which is another thing that like makes my ear uh, peek up when I hear yeah, it. Yeah, sure. Uh, did it? Did you ever go see them live? No, I never oh, got okay. a chance. I'm a mis- they, they're not shy of touring. Like Jack in general is not shy of touring. So I assume that they will come around to wherever I am next, and I will be able <laughs> okay. to catch it. Uh, but uh, we mentioned uh, the West Coast pop art experiment and, and covers and stuff that that kind of delved me and Paul further into different genres. Uh, now, if there was a uh, another tour. What would be your preferred cover? Like, can you think of a certain song uh, that that would meld well with the Dead Weather sound that you'd oh, want to hear? That is a good question. Yeah. Wow, that is a good question. I mean, the, I, I would. I, I'm a personal fan of like the real out there, like left field covers. Yeah. Uh, you have you have folks doing things that you just absolutely didn't expect. So I, w- I would love to hear something. Along those lines, now I'm, I'm, I'm blanking. Like, you say, oh yeah, we could hear like Iron Man as done by Jack White. Oh. That would just that would be great. But I don't. I think that would be almost like too expected. It's sure. been they're doing that to death everywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's let's uh, let's get away from what people expect us to do. And like, yeah, the I'd never heard of the West Coast pop experimental band. Yeah, yeah. I had never heard of them until I, I saw that B side. I, I would dig deep in the crate and say something like maybe the magnetic feel, like something like really poppy and accessible yeah. and maybe even a little underground, uh, something off of 99 or 69 love songs and then just cover it in fuzz and, and bang it out like a doom at a doom pace. That would, I would love that song. I would play that in the whip everywhere. Nice. You, I, uh, you mentioned Cannibal Corpse. I would love to hear a bluesy, slowed down, hammer smashed face. <laughs> ooh, ooh, Barn Sarah, appreciate that. Uh, that has been a great place to leave this, Matt. Thank you so much for joining us on the show, and let's get back to it, James. What do you say? Yeah, thank you again, Matt. James, uh, we learned a lot today. You know, we did a lot. We got to see, see Coward's two-parter. Next episode, James, sh- we should tease for the people is going to be a very special episode. You're not going to want to miss the next episode coming up in two weeks. That is going to feature, James, should we spoil it for the people who don't already know? Oh, hell yeah, we should spoil it. Paul, next episode, 
We are going to feature... How about we say it together? No, you do it. I don't want to do it. Okay. I am on strike. How about we... Oh, all right. Next episode, we will feature none other than the one, the only, the Dirt Bomb, the third man co-founder himself, Mr. Benjamin Blackwell, will be on the show. Ben Blackwell. We got him. Why? We don't know. But we got him. We, but he came on, and we talked to him, and he's the little bird. We're overjoyed to have talked with Ben, and we can't wait for you all to hear that interview. It's it's a doozy. It's 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 going to be a lot of fun. He talked to us for a ridiculous amount of time for a man of that stature in Third Man Records, and we learned a couple of fun things about what is said or listened to about the Third Men podcast in the halls of Third Man Records. So... Stick around for that. Coming up in two weeks, uh, for all of the people who did not listen to these two episodes because they're not into the dead weather, not next time. We'll get you next time. Yeah, they're not listening anyway, Paul, so <laughs> screw, screw them. Yeah, we'll get into some shout-outs here. I guess I'll jump into some shout-outs of our regular listeners. How about Ben, the Beer Man Blues Carnes? We have Kate McCoy, the Bones of the Operation. We have Jeremy Riles keeping us on those rails. My oh me, it's me oh my. Andre Ice Cold Lyman, we have Eileen, we see you over there, Corsano, we have Kelly Durga, our third woman in spirit every week, Adrian King, the punk rock queen, the red, red rain prosper, Amy Hart, the heart of the operation, LOL 2.0 is very funny, Eric Andrew Dotson over here, David Poe, we have S.A. Franco, we don't know you, we have Yvette Wilkins on Sunshine, we have Brendan and Smith. We have Brian Walter be nice to me. No right opinion for you here. Go away. And the Brett 3 killed my Garski. Ah, uh, yes. And uh, we also have our other listeners who like us on Facebook and talk with us on Twitter. And we'd like to give them a little shouty duty. Sh- uh, a little if, shouty duty. A little shouty duty, if you will. Uh, we've got uh, people like Christopher Hill and Sam Sandak, who was on the show last episode. Sam Sandak. We also have Melissa Swanka. Thank you so much for listening to uh, to the show and, and giving the kind words, Melissa. You, you're you're great, and we treasure you. Yeah, treasure. Oh yeah, Mo- Melissa's one of the people who just joined us, and she's a de- I think she's a dead weather fan. Anyway, she just found the podcast and started listening. So thank you so much. Very nice. I don't yeah. know why I turned into and- Christopher Walken there, but I did. Chip, he's my legacy. He's- you're a penguin man. <laughs> Penguin man, I'm walking here. Hey, anyway. did you ever think he says I'm walking over here? <laughs> he better have. Uh, we'd also like to thank George Marcus and uh, Melissa Kopierk. Yeah, Kiak Kopierk. Anthony Bain, Mike Doyle. Y'all are great. Mick Wayneman. You're all great people, and we appreciate you. And w- whenever you want to listen to our show, you know what? You're welcome to. Yeah. Please. And Paul, if they'd like to find us on the internet like these five people did how would they do it oh we go to facebook.com slash third men you go to twitter at third mencast tumblr thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com you can visit us on our wordpress page thethirdmen.wordpress.com you can send us an email thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com the podcast is brought to you by pippa pippa is a uh, wonderful platform for all of you who uh, perhaps interested in starting podcasts it is uh, not cheap and not easy to podcasts you'd think it might be you'd think it's just a couple of jerks around the old microphone but let me tell you this it's a lot of work and it's extremely expensive (laughs) but pippa (laughs) but pippa makes it a little easier you know yeah 
They've opened some doors for us. They've got us onto Spotify. Their customer service is world class. They've they've got a function where you can transcribe episodes. Their analytics are awesome. So anyway, Pippa's great uh, for that. And if you're thinking about a podcast, you should definitely pip on down to Pippa. And uh, hey. if you'd like to uh, f- check us out on YouTube, James has some awesome and really funny uh, visualizers on YouTube. And, and please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. It is very quick to do. And as always... If you know a friend who would be interested in a four-plus-hour Sea of Cowards extravaganza, we really need you to tell that person about this podcast. It helps us find our audience, which we know you're out there. We can see you, thanks to Pippa. That's right. (laughs) But we we really need the help getting the show out there, so if you could do that, that would be wonderful. Yes, thank you guys uh, in advance, because I know you all go out there and do it. And we'd also like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help with our theme song, We're the Third Men, as well as Santa Roundtree for the intros and outros of our program that are just so great. Thank you both. Thank you, all three of you. You're all the best. And I think that'll do it for this episode, Paul. Until next week, uh, I will be looking for another horse to find a home because I ain't got no horse yeah, and I will be looking for a home in two weeks in our Ben Blackwell interview for some reason. Oh, that's a better one than mine. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> bye. bye. James, forgot, James forgot the annoying thing he's supposed to say. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. Is it gasolina? Stickball with the fellas is like a sword fight with your wiener. (laughs) Going wild new places (laughs) that I didn't expect. He touches me in my no-no place and we play stickball. I can't believe Ellie did not scream for any of that old-timey kid talk. With track one, Blue Blood Blue. And uh, James, we're going to get through. Yeah, I don't care for this show very much. I mean, there is. Uh, well, yeah, there's there's that, and then there's something we should smell. Like, we should stop sucking and start smelling as well. <laughs> Why don't we just smell something, James? And then we, can, if we start sucking in the middle of the smell, we can stop it all. Me and Paul get a, get a hoot out of is that? I don't think that's the right term. We get a... Yeah, no, we get a hoot out of it. Yeah, we, we get, get a hoot out of it. We get a hoot out of it. I'm jiggly. It should really start breaking down. Come on. Which most of you hate. <laughs> Just statistically speaking. <laughs> That's a sound of regret. <laughs> Why was I born into this particular baby Bjorn? Of all of the moments in time, it had to be right here. Yeah, I had to watch the Kavanaugh hearings with an old Polish guy. See what's on the old boob tube. <laughs> We should, uh, you know, we should get fans on the show.
and explain. He can explain to you who he is. <laughs> I would love that, Paul. Explain us. Explain to the court, please, Mr. Powell, what boofing is. She is gonna sleep on me. Sleep on me. I just caught a mosquito on my hand, like Barack Hussein Obama. You like quarters? We all know how Jack feels about Dan Aykroyd. White and Moss, you know, I saw a thing online today that says, goat meat will save us. You know that classic Dead, dead Weathers song? Dead Weathers song. I thought it was the Pitbull. Daddy. Do you think he ever, do you think Pitbull ever floated the Pitbull? The Yankee well, father himself. Well, that's, uh, he, he was eaten by the Pitbull. And that is how babies are made. <laughs> <laughs> that could be literally any song. I don't, they're so interchangeable. I don't really. Yeah. The only other note I have written on here just says, she's DTFAF. Howdy do, fellow kids. Baby casting. Yes. I, I have so much so that I have to look it up. I think I have to do that too. And I researched this thing. So let me do a Google Google. Skype is bad. Old Marty. Old Marty. Old Marty full of buttheads. I like the halfway point. All right, you want to postpone it here? Uh... We'll just have to breeze through the back half. Yep. She's hustling and cussing. <laughs> Put my watch in my butt. It's the best walk-in I've ever heard Excuse in my me, life. Penguin Man, I have a watch in my butt. It's like playing Candy Crush with all of your lives. Yeah, we'd also like to thank Tom Cuber and Sam, <laughs> Sam Valenti. <laughs> James, it's also opposite day. Tyrone... Tyrone, not Tyrone, Tyrone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, are you, are you, are you, I was going to ask, are you done here? <laughs> I, I guess, I guess I am. It's, yeah, I got nothing. You can't hit me. You can't hit me.